Again, ladies and gents, uh, we're joined once again by Sam Kesson, uh, the Chief Operating Officer over at Fallings. Um, we talk about a number of stuff again this week. Uh, we do a recap of the 2019 um, season, uh, but we also spend a lot of time discussing um, discussing uh, their Arizona offering and um, some pretty cool courses that um, Arizonians should be checking out now, uh, given the fact that I know a lot of courses are still open. Um, it was really, really interesting to hear about desert golf because I haven't experienced it yet. And I'm desperate to. Um, definitely going to get my priorities right after after the, the the lockdown is over and the travel restrictions are lifted. I'm going to be planning one hell of a golf trip that's going to incorporate all different types of golf. Um, but look, it's 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 another episode about the tour and about 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 falling product offering um, and about some amazing course that I hope. Um, you guys go and check out. Um, again, we just want to bring as much value to you as possible, whether that's through uh, education, whether that's through entertainment um, or inspiration, whatever the whatever the medium. Um, we, we we hope we, we're giving you value, um, and I'm sure you've seen the PJ Tour players are starting to come. Just Jack's just chat is ramping up, ramping up, ladies and gents. Um, it is also ramping up. I do like a rant, <laughs> but anyway, enjoy. Bye bye the podcast um it is sponsorship time and we are brought to you once again um by the legends over at four links uh, what is four links uh, four links is a multi uh, golf course uh, membership where you pay a monthly fee and in return you get points you then use these points to play play in nevada play in california even play in arizona three states full of courses um, they're very community driven very customer focused and they're all about creating experience for the customer which is why they've now um, launched um, their fantasy golf platform where you can utilize your points enter tournaments play against your friends go in head-to-heads play in leagues and acquire and accumulate points then go and use to play so you can enjoy golf you can enjoy having a bit of banter with your friends um, you can enjoy watching it and then you get rewarded by getting points to then play not only that we're at a very immature stage of the platform um, as we see this marketplace develop and mature we're going to see new product offerings new things to use your points for you can already use them to to buy apparel uh, to buy lessons etc but expect that marketplace to develop um, as time goes on i'm going to stop the ad there those guys are amazing go check them out um, Back to the podcast. Two, one. What is up, everyone? Welcome uh, to another episode of Just Jack's Just Chat. Um, it is another episode of Tour Talk, uh, which means we are joined by Sam. Sam, how you doing? How you doing? Oh, not too bad. Mm-hmm. Are you uh, are you going going crazy yet? Or uh, I am. And then, and last week in particular was tough, <laughs> knowing that it was Masters week. Knowing what else I would have been doing, knowing how it would have dominated the Thursday through Sunday, it was uh, it was a bummer. It was a, every day, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It was hard to ignore what uh, what I should be doing and what I'm doing instead. <laughs> you um did did you binge did you binge the Masters over the weekend? I did, and I watched 2019 again. Yeah. They did uh, <laughs> CBS. I thought was a cool idea. CBS had. Uh, they replayed the final round, but they did it with uh, some commentary from Tiger and Jim Nance watching it together. Oh, wow. And I thought that was a cool idea. You know, if you're going to have to f- fill that hole 
uh, content-wise for CBS. I thought that was a reasonably good way of doing it. Yeah, man, I, I, I was the same. I, um, I sat on Sunday and watched watched every single every single shot of, of, of Tiger's last round, and it, it served as a really good reminder that like um, that it was such a mental win for me because he, he didn't he didn't have his he didn't have his best game with him. Um, I think he shot seventy, which is still a great score, but like you could see he didn't he didn't have his 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 best with him on that day. What you saw was like this, this like steely resilience and this just sort of like comfort being in a winning position on a Sunday um, in a major. Um, and we, we don't talk about like like I said, I think I've said to you on many occasions. Like we don't talk about Xander Schauffele's run. We don't talk about DJ's run. We don't talk about Bubba Watson. We don't talk about Brooks Kepka eagling. I think he, he, yeah, he hit the ball in the water, but he bounced back with an eagle. Uh, we don't mm-hmm. talk about Molinari. Sort of, I think he dropped two shots all week. I think that's the. I think that's the fewest in in, in Moss's history. Uh, we don't don't talk about Finau, the birdie machine. Like it, there was a lot going against him. He, he'd never chased down a major from being losing position on a Sunday to win before. Like uh, for for me, the 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 mental strength he showed, the uh, the courage, the resilience, and just just that like that 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 ruthless winning mindset was was what came came across for me. And I, I really, it, it seemed like he just had such incredible patience that whole day. If you just watched his body language, the way he walked, the way he carried himself, uh, he seemed to be very calm in a way that he ordinarily seems to be running at a little bit higher RPM rate than it looked like he was running. And I think Nick Faldo said it best on the telecast that he's going to treat it like a marathon and he's just going to kind of pace himself and hang around and hang around and see who does what and see what he has to do come the second nine. And, uh, and that's what he did. He, you know, he didn't do anything too flashy. It wasn't like one of those rounds where he, where, you know, he was uh, knocking down flag six left, right, and center. He just seemed to do what, what he had to do and no more than that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like, it, it doesn't go without saying. Like, he, he did, he did, he did play some some uh, some incredible golf. Like, he made that six foot par on twelve. He left himself a lot of work for that putt. He made that, which is not an easy putt because you've got you've got the slope walking all, working all the way down to the water. If he gets the pace wrong, he's missing the putt. Um, he had the incredible shot on ooh, sixteen. No, it was his. Um, Oh, wait, wait, wait! Played his, his drive fled out right, and he he played that like he played that draw into the green. What what hole is that? Is it twelve? Fifth? Uh, oh, no, it's not 15? twelve. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, is it fifteen? Anyway, par anyway. five. No, it's coming it's, it's down a, the hill. It's a par four coming down the hill, with water on the left. Four coming down. Right. Oh, eleven. Yeah, but yeah, 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 it's eleven. It's eleven. He, he played it like a... from the from the like alley to the right of the trees. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's eleven, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then obviously, yeah, sixteen played plays an incredible tee shot um, as well. So like he he did play some good golf, but it was the it was the the sheer willingness to win that was amazing. Like like you've said on many occasions before, like the the scenes when he did win, uh, like. Like for me, if I try and speak about my emotions watching that, it just doesn't do it anywhere near as much just as as, as what it deserves. So I'm not gonna try. <laughs> I still got choked up watching him come off the green. I mean, even though I'd seen it a bunch of times already, and I still got choked up watching him come off the green at 18 and, and hugging his kids and just seeing just seeing how 
happy he was and how content he was. Anytime you get to see somebody who's wanted something for so long and they finally check that box, it's a cool thing to see. Like it, I, I would compare it almost to, even though it wasn't, it what it wasn't the same level of, it wasn't like a comeback for Phil, but it was kind of similar in 04 when Phil finally got his masters and he got his major and he wasn't the best player to win a ma- not to win a major anymore. And he had had so many questions of, was he ever going to be able to do it and so on and so forth that you really, it was cool to see the, the look of satisfaction somebody has when they have that, that kind of goal in mind for so long and then they're finally able to accomplish it. It was uh, it was really cool to see, and it's and it's inspiring. Yeah, man. He, um, you you saw like a you saw a really much more relaxed tiger after he won after after he hit that when he put in. He just saw weight fall off his shoulders, and you saw the sheer joy coming out of his body, like engaging with the fans the way he did. It was just a it was just a beautiful moment for the, for the game of golf, and definitely definitely the standout moment. Um, for for last year, but I guess before we before we remember more of last year, Sam, we we did an interesting segment last week that um, listeners really enjoyed actually, where we um, discussed your your favorite five uh, California based golf courses that are on the that are on the four links roster, um, and we we talked in, we talked in depth about some of the courses there, why you like them, uh, what you know what different types of courses um, are like every course doesn't have to be a long course you can have short courses um that are still just as enjoyable etc and i wanted to sort of sort of highlight um another market in which you operate and that's that, that's arizona arizona's been really interesting um from someone i guess from from from, from this side of the pond um because you associate it with you associate it with desert yes you associate a bit with golf but um the waste management um open has done an amazing job in bringing so much attention to Arizona is a golfing state. Um, so I thought it'd be pretty fitting just to talk about, again, your three to five favorite courses in Arizona, why that is, and, and what in particular is maybe uh, unique about, about golf life in, in Arizona. Yeah, it's a really interesting market, especially right now. It's one of the few markets in the United States that's relatively open. Mm-hmm. You're seeing probably more golf played in the state of Arizona than any other state, if I had to guess. Florida, I think, was uh, open for business until relatively recently, so it may not have kept up with Florida, but uh, it is one of the few markets that's pretty much totally open for business here in the U.S., so it is apropos for us to talk about it a little bit. It's, from a desert golf perspective, it's, it's similar to Vegas and Palm Springs, uh, just a ton of really great courses concentrated into a really small area. You could take a trip out there. For 10 days play a new golf course every day and the quality is not really going to diminish throughout the entire time you're going to be able to find plenty of quality golf out there in order to fill uh, any kind of trip you wanted four links has some some beauties out there uh including the host of the waste management phoenix open uh tbc scottsdale they do have 36 holes there they have the champions course which is the other one and then the stadium course which is the one that you see the waste management on probably three or four times and i just think it's a really fun especially that second nine out there it's such a great mix of risk reward holes and high danger shots and it's uh it's a adrenaline filled 
Hello. I'm long par four, water all the way down the left. Then you have 15 is a par five with an island green complex that's really cool. 16, obviously, the experience of playing the hole that you've seen so many times in that stadium format. I actually think, and I'm not sure what the feasibility of this is, but I don't know why they, they take. And I kind of think they should just leave them up. It'd be really cool if you were playing that golf course in June or whatever. So I do think that it would be cool if they left the grandstands up around that 16th hole year round. I think it'd be an awesome experience to play the golf course and see what that looks like. Mm-hmm. So think that it's uh, kind of a disappointment to see that hole without it because it's a relatively nondescript par three. Otherwise, if you took away the grandstands, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not even in the top half of my favorite holes on the second nine there, but if you were to leave up those grandstands and you, and you could give everybody a feel year-round of what it's like to play that hole during the tournament, that'd be really cool. And then I think the 17th hole there, the short part four that's drivable, is, one of the, is, is maybe the greatest hole out there and is one of the really good short part fours in the game. It's got that pond on the left. It's got that little section in the back. Uh, it's got tons of fairway to the right. It's got some bunkers in the layup area. A really cool golf hole. It's the kind of hole where you can make an eagle two or you can make a triple bogey seven. You know, you've seen all kinds of outcomes there during the tournament uh, just because it's such a volatile hole so late in the round. And then that 18th hole is cool with the cheer chew bunkers off on the left side there in the driving area. Uh, it's just a f- fun golf course. It's, it's the kind of golf course where you can score if you're playing well. There's plenty of holes that you can go get. But if you're wayward at the wrong time, it'll punish you. And obviously, anytime you get to play where the pros play, it's always a, a thrill, you know, to get to have that experience and then take it with you every year when you're watching the Phoenix Open. It's uh, it's a blast. Yeah, I was just about to say. I was just about to say, like, uh, it just sort of occurred to me there, Sam, that you're reading off all these courses. Like, you've played a ridiculous amount of good bucket list golf. Like, like so jealous <laughs> I, 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 I went from like admiring your knowledge of, of these courses and really enjoying you talk about the different uh, nuances between them why you enjoy them i'm like how does he know this oh yeah maybe because he's played all of them <laughs> yeah i i was lucky enough uh in college and high school at the end of the school year uh me and my friends would hop in one of our cars usually mine and drive cross country and take like two weeks doing it and play golf all along the way. So I've gotten the opportunity to play in some places that uh, maybe you wouldn't necessarily spend a ton of time, but just in the course of a drive across country, I've gotten to see some spaces for sure. And so I've done that. I've done it back and forth. Like I think I did it seven summers in a row, starting from high school through college. So I've been, uh, oh, wow. I've walked some miles on the interior of the United States. <laughs> plus the plus the the job you have is kind of a kind of a good way to play some good golf. I I know uh, I was speaking to Danny about it, like just because you're in the golf business and more specifically the golf course business, it doesn't already or uh, it doesn't always necessarily mean you get more time to go out and play. Um, but if there's if there's one person with good access and good bandwidth to play some good golf, it's it's you. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's an irony of the golf business that. A lot of people will say they've never played less golf in their life than they played once they got into the golf business. So I do think, uh, while I do get to travel to some golf-heavy destinations, uh, 
I haven't played as much lately as I would like to, and I certainly, I certainly ought to be taking better advantage of being in the golf business than I am. But that's definitely a familiar. You hear that a lot from folks in the golf industry. Where have you? Uh, where, where is your game up, by the way? What, what's your handicap? I can't believe I've never asked you this. Ah, uh, well, if I had to put a uh, a number on it now, I guess I, I'm probably like an eight, maybe. Mm. But I've been as low as like a two. Really. Uh, those days are long gone, though. <laughs> the older I get, the better I. The, the older I get, the better I used to be. It turns out that when you're, you know, cutting class in high school and playing five days a week, that you can get a lot better than when you're working five days a week and sneaking out to the golf course once or twice a month. Yeah, exactly. With 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 uh, with, uh, with a body that's less likely to get injured every time you go and play as well. <laughs> For sure. How about your handicap? I've never asked you this either. Yeah, I'm. I, I, I officially I play off eight. Um, but like that's you know that, that that's a good round of golf if I'm, if I'm shooting eight over. My um, my, my my struggle in golf is always be my decision making on the course. Um, it's not that I don't know what the best decision to make is. I just always seem to get dragged into like trying to pull off these these shots that are so high risk and i'm so unlikely to pull off they often lead me to to tie numbers like i rarely go around without a double or a triple and it it always knocks my score always i go on, i go on big par runs etc not a problem fairway fairway green I'm, I'm pretty tidy um around the green i can get up and down uh, quite a lot sometimes my short putting lets me down but i don't let that affect me because i just think that's a part of of amateur golf um but certainly, if, if I could learn to sort of curb my uh, enthusiasm for the heroic shot, uh, I think we'd see. I think we'd see my handicap must cause uh, drastically improve. Ah, whatever. Yeah, you know? it's, <laughs> like, it's part of the enjoyment not, of it, though, isn't it? Like, I agree. It's part of the enjoyment of it that there's nothing more thrilling than a shot you don't know if you can pull it off, and you pull it off. That's that's so much of the fun of the game is watching yourself do those things that I think you'd be letting. You read all these instruction articles that'll sit there and tell you how you should be laying up more than you are and you should be avoiding risk more than you are and all that. But to me, that's such a, a huge part of the joy of golf is taking on a shot that might be maybe a little too big for your britches and managing to do it. The, the thrill of that is, is the soul of the game. That's why we play is, is, to, is to have that experience. So. Even if it costs you a couple more shots here and there and your average score is maybe a stroke or two higher than it would be if you were, for lack of a better way of putting it, more of a pussy out there. <laughs> you know, that uh, that uh, you probably have more fun than you have you know, laying the ball up all the time and, and et cetera. So I wouldn't. I also think, too, uh, if you are the type of person who is felled by t- taking on too much risk, uh, unintended benefit of that maybe is that when you do have shots that are high risk, you're comfortable more so than the guy that avoids risk all day long. Like I, yeah. I, I make this argument with people who there's some people who will say like your worst putt is better than your best chip and they'll putt from fucking everywhere. Like oh, yeah. any place they can conceivably putt from, if there's no bunker in the way they'll putt those types of people. Uh, like they may be right with some of those shots that their worst putt is better than their best chip, etc. But what they're not doing is they're not putting themselves under the gun such that when you have to hit that shot, you're afraid of, they're not used to hitting shots with fear. And I think that 
that's such a huge part of the game is figuring out how to make good swings when you're nervous, when you're afraid, when you think that the shot's too hard, when you don't know if you can do it. So I had, uh, as much as it sounds like you're beating yourself up over your attempted heroics out there, I think there's a, an unspoken, an unspoken good side. To yeah, I mean, I mean, thank you for easing my well, lessening my, my, my pain a little bit. I, I guess the, the the thing for me, Sam, like what what I'm chasing on the golf course is that that feeling of a flushed, like I mean, a, a flush shot, whether that's a whether that's off the tee, whether it's with nine, whether it's whether it's chipping, whether it's a putter, like that shot that you envisage yourself making in your head that you're so rarely you're able to execute because we're amateur golfers i'm like i'm chasing that 197 uh draw into a into a tightly tucked pin to six feet like that's what i'm chasing because that's what that's what like puts me on fire so like any opportunity i'm gonna get to to play those shots or well i should say attempt those shots i'm gonna give it a go like i don't play that much competitive golf um at the moment, it's something I, I, I really want to want to do more of. But like, if I'm if I'm just playing with my mates, like, why am I trying to pr- protect my scorecard when when it's really not the the, the sort of the um where it's not really it doesn't really matter. Like, who cares? Like, I'd much rather attempt this heroic heroic shot. I cu- I couldn't agree more. And and this will be my hot take of the day. But I think that keeping score ruins golf for a lot of like in a lot of ways it's a corrosive thing that wow. I don't really care that much like there there are there are rounds of golf where I'll care about my score like if I'm playing really well then I think I can pu- I can post a number here I'll feel great about then I'll get invested in, in a little bit in the score that I shot but once I once the round gets away from me sufficiently where it's not going to be one of those that I really feel proud of uh to my mind like the difference between 83 and 78, I don't emotionally feel any different leaving the golf course between those two things. So rather than behaving in a manner where I'm trying to scratch and claw every single shot and, I'm, and it's another bogey and God damn it and blah, 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 you know, that, that I go out there and, and try to hit shots and try to, you know, try new things and try different swing ideas if I think the one I've got isn't working or whatever else if i blow one in the junk keep it moving you know go head out on the next hole who cares that uh, i enjoy playing match play more than stroke play for that reason and i think from a pace of play standpoint you're seeing people marking two three footers and and it adds time to it and i would i, I enjoy the game so much more when i mean like it's one thing you know i i love competitive golf too and i love the idea of of you know, we all go out there, we got to shoot the lowest number we can or whatever. But in the course of, of just ordinary day-to-day play, I, I, it doesn't, I, I, I'm fine with, with that my score will take a hit in exchange for me enjoying the experience more. So I don't know. I, I, think, I, think you'd see, I think you'd see people enjoy the game more and play faster if they cared less about their score. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I agree. That's that's an interesting notion. Like, I guess the only problem I can see with that is like, um, at what point do you stop calling golf a sport if you're not if you're not if you're not um, keeping score? But at the same time, like, who cares what people call it? We just want more people on the fairways enjoying golf. Like, so like, if if that means more rounds where you just don't score, you're just out there trying to play some good with the you know with the intention of playing some good golf. Like trying out some new things and just having a good time, I think that's 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 going to be really beneficial for the game. I guess it, it does take away that competitive um, element a little bit, but um, 
but but you're right. Like it'll be a much quicker round if we were less bothered about about our score because we 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 we'd, we'd spend a lot less time reading puts. Like it's so annoying when you when you look at a game in front of you, right? You've got guys off like twenty and twenty eight or whatever, and they're taking like ten minutes to read the put. It's like you're gonna three put anyway, but apologize. Right, guys got a twenty footer for double bogey. Like just, <laughs> just pick get it up. With it. Yeah. Just pick it up. Let's keep it moving. You know, like, this, double, this whole yeah. you're not gonna remember this whole later. So you know what are we still doing here? I, I'm all for, I, I'm all for getting rid of of as much as possible. People spent overly focused on their score. I think you'd see people, you know, you hit a ball in a horrible place and you know you're going to make a giant number. What what do we have to have the 15 handicap guy take three lashes out of the gorse trying to save a triple or whatever he's doing? Just throw it back out into the fairway and let's go. Yeah, yeah, you can still yeah. compete playing match play, you know, and there's still opportunities to compete against your friends and things like that. But I just, I would love to, I would love to see golfers as a as a group worry less about their score. Yeah, I I agree. Like what what like uh, more like more match like more more match play for, for for me. Like 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 you say, it enables you to pick the ball up on the green a lot more than not. Like you still got the competitive element. You're not protecting your score. Like it, it, it's 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 a fun battle with a friend where you learn about your golf game and you're gonna have some fun in a competitive environment, but you don't have to spend twenty minutes reading, like you say, twenty footers for double. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and you guys across the pond do it as well as anybody. I, I love how much alternate shot gets played in the UK. A lot I think that's a scramble. brilliant idea. I think it's I think it's faster. I think it's. Uh, you know, it's it's a faster game. I think it's it's a cool team experience. I think it's a, a great way of kind of disconnecting you from that constant evaluation of your own performance and getting you more into something that's more about the competition than it is about your individual performance. Oh yeah, I I, I completely agree. Like, it, it, it Texas scramble is. Um... Is is very much part of like of English golf club culture. I I really like it. Like a lot of people say, oh, I want to play my own ball, etc. Which which I kind of get, but like you should open yourself up to playing Texas Scramble because it's a fun team team event. Um, the rounds are inherently quicker. And if you if you if you still haven't got your fix for the day, chance are you've got time to play nine holes afterwards because they they are they are they are quick rounds. Um, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, it's two okay. and a half, three hours. It's perfect. You fly around, literally fly around. Yeah. Um, out, out here, I've played nine hole rounds that have taken that long because the, the foursome in front of me, every guy playing every shot uh, all the way to the bitter end, it's, uh, it's brutal sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I guess back to Arizona. <laughs> uh, Sorry. I, no, 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 no. Oh, Diatribe. No, don't, 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 don't apologize. Like, that's one thing I say in this podcast. There's not such thing as a tangent. Like, for me, it's where the conversation uh, goes naturally. It's where you should where you should take it. Like, there's no guide. There's no guidelines to a good conversation. I think that's bollocks. I think that's reason why we we, we don't like a lot of um, a lot of player interviews because they the, the seem too scripted, too rigid, well rehearsed. I like free flowing, uh, deep um, contextual conversation. Um, so, do not apologize ever again. That was a good tangent. I really enjoyed it. Um, but I, <laughs> but I, but I, I want to break down some more of Arizona golf. <laughs> yeah. So another golf course we have out there is called Wickenburg Ranch Golf and Social Club. It's okay. in an area of 
outs it's probably i would say 45 minutes to an hour outside of, of like downtown phoenix uh like a little bit to the north and west and a little bit more out into like the desert desert and so it's a hike to get there but man this place is pure i mean you drive like it's a it's a really <laughs> tiny highway that you're driving up to get there and and you're kind of surprised that they even tried to build a golf course of that caliber out there just because it's it's kind of in the hinterland but then you go on property and it just it is immaculate uh i have not unfortunately i have not played the golf course but i've driven the golf course with the uh head professional there he's a gentleman named steve outlaw really nice guy uh and they also have so they have two courses there called big wick and little wick (laughs) little wick is a par three course that's uh immaculate beautiful par three course uh it's got a few holes that are lit up it's got like a grill that's in the middle of the uh property so you know you're kind of every two or three holes you're passing a place to get food and beer so i definitely would recommend to any listener if you're gonna play golf in phoenix taking a day to go play 18 in the morning at the big course and and nine in the late afternoon at the par three course that's a really fun day out there. It's, it's a, a beautiful place. And, and while I haven't played it yet, I've seen it. And, and I love what I saw. And I can't wait to get out there and actually play it for the first time. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and, and, and sort of, I guess, just, just, just on that, you talk about sort of um, it being sort of immaculate, being really pure. Is that a common theme of, of Arizona golf courses? Like, what is it, what is it yeah. that would define a, an Arizonian golf course if, if, if that even exists? Like, yeah, I think uh, – how should I put this? I, I wouldn't necessarily even say this is specific to Arizona. I would, I would apply it to most desert golf courses. But I think that a big piece of the equation is the contrast between the arid sort of uh, – what's the right way to put it? Like borderline like moonscape of the desert and then contrasting those like – you know, kind of like browns and reds against the greens of a golf course. It creates such a, a beautiful juxtaposition of colors that, that to me is kind of what defines desert golf, that it's well kept. It's, it's uh, you know, it, it just looks like really carved. You know, and I say this as a compliment. A lot of times when it comes to golf courses, people don't think of this as a compliment. But it, it is extraordinarily man-made, which is, which is to say that uh, it, it, it looks as though humans have imposed their will on this piece of property. Mm. And I say that in, as a good thing, uh, that the desert is such a uh, blank canvas that while the land does give you some, you really have to build the golf course. And so I think you see in, in desert areas, you know, some really great, you know, built golf courses as compared to found golf courses. Like you look at a place like Pebble Beach and how many of those holes design themselves? I mean, you look at that stretch down eight, nine, ten, 10 at Pebble, seven, 18, you know, those holes were just there waiting to be found. And I think desert golf, you have to work a little bit harder because the land doesn't give you quite so much. Mm. Uh, So I I think it's kind of a study in contrast is is part of uh, the desert experience. I think uh, 
I think you see a lot of water on desert golf courses, and that's another great contrast because the whole area is so devoid of water generally that to then see immaculate ponds and streams in this environment that doesn't look conducive to that, it's a cool kind of, uh, you know, sort of juxtaposition. So I like that. I like that aspect to it. It's it's a very sort of harsh transition from uh, like wild desert to perfectly maintained golf course. Mm. No, it, 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 it inter- it's, it's really interesting. Like the, the fact that like these different landscapes and states and, and, um, and conditions give us so much variation of, of 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 the same thing. I think it's rare in any sport. Yeah, you got tennis, different you got different grounds, etc. But like golf's you really unique in that aspect, right? That like it's it's so varied. Like there's something out there for, for absolutely everyone. And it, it, it's again, it's another trait as to why you you can't stop enjoying the game. If if if, if you like golf in the first instance, you're never going to run out of things to enjoy about it because it just keeps presenting itself in these new and ex- extraordinary ways. And it's so cool that you've got three states all in all in pretty close proximity that offer such a, a varied golfing experience from from links golf to to desert golf um to your high end like your tpc um golf course etc to to lesser well-known courses like the, the 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 very um the very fact that you've incorporated all these different um states uh varies your product tremendously yeah and i think that's always something that we're keeping an eye on is trying to make sure that what we offer our membership is a lovely mix of facilities so that there's a little something for everybody. If you're a guy that likes that municipal value-driven golf course, we want to make sure we have plenty of those. If you're the guy that goes hunting for the high-end experience, we want to make sure we have plenty of those. You know, it's uh, the idea is to, to give our members the feeling that whatever their particular taste is that day. You know, I, I grew up going to an ice cream store called 31 Flavors, and predictably, they had 31 flavors of ice cream. <laughs> and uh, I, I always think back to that in a lot of different contexts that, that I always want to make sure that uh, whatever mood a golfer has for what he wants to play that day, that we got something that fits that mood. Absolutely. Um, I guess just on that, like this is me taking us on another tangent as well, by the way, but it's really interesting it's to hear. Far away. It's really interesting to hear, like, I love falling because I love it as a as a business, a product. Really like you, you yourself and Danny. Otherwise, I wouldn't work with you. Like, I really really like what it's about. Um, Aw, thanks, how, buddy. It's okay, bro. Um, how, <laughs> how 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 come how come some courses react so well to working with third parties and and some courses don't? Like, because it just seems like a bit a bit of an opening. Like, what, 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 what are some of the challenges? <laughs> can, can we just sort of just that's yeah. just sort of surface level. What are some of the hurdles or challenges around around working with some of these guys? Well, I'll start by saying that uh, I think the aversion to working with third parties is uh, what's the right way to put this. I think some of it is a little bit of PTSD having to do with the third parties that they worked with at the beginning. Okay. Golf now is the golf now is the biggest name in the space. They work with most public golf courses in the U.S. You know, I would say if you're a public golf course in the U.S probably a 75% chance you're on golf now. Their business model uh, is like started out as like, you know, it's called the barter model where golf courses would give one, two, three, sometimes as many as four tee times a day to golf now to sell and keep all the revenue for. And so golf now would get to price those times 
And so obviously they would price them such that they were kind of the first ones out the door so that the golf now hot deal price, which is what those barter times were labeled as was the lowest price available kind of in a three hour window around that time. Mm. And, and you can't blame golf. Now they want to make sure that they utilize their inventory and given that the golf course has permitted them to price it however they want to, they're entitled to do that. And it's up to golf courses to decide whether or not that's worth it. But you started seeing golf courses looking at how many of those rounds were walking out the And a lot of them were wondering about the degree to which it cannibalizes their existing business and ROI questions about whether or not they're getting back more than they're giving away. You know, golf now is unequivocally, let's say there's a golf course where they sell $40,000, $50,000 worth of, of hot deal times. That is unequivocally incremental revenue to golf now. That that's forty or fifty grand that the golf now never would have. Made. Hmm. Golf course has a harder calculation to make that is a lot more uh, guesswork and and impossible to find fact. The golf course has to decide. Okay, in giving golf now that forty fifty thousand dollars worth of business, what did I get back for that? And what did I give up? Because the golf course may not have sold all of the times that golf now sold because the golf course wouldn't have priced it as low as golf now did. So you can't say that every dollar golf now makes on a barter time is a dollar the golf course isn't making, but you can say that some of them are, you just don't know how many. So you don't know, you know, and when you're looking at an ROI equation, you don't really know what the I is because you don't know exactly what that's costing you. Mm -hmm. Then flip it to the other side and look at the R and say, okay, what am I getting back for this? If you're a golf course, how do you know that the rounds that golf now is sending you are rounds you wouldn't have gotten without them? There's no way to know. And so I think some golf courses, when they don't generate a ton of business through golf now, they start to look at the cost to them from those barter times and think this may not be worth it. There's also a, a, a huge uh, issue with, it's called rate integrity. A golf course that sells for a hundred bucks on a day where it's raining or it's slow. It's, you know, the Monday after a hot weekend or, or whatever the case may be. Uh, golf now might price that hundred dollar tea time at 29 bucks or 24 bucks or 34 bucks. And there are golf courses that have genuine and, and in my view, legitimate concerns with whether or not they're uh, damaging the, the reputation of their product by making it available at such a discounted rate. Mm. If you've played a golf course for $29, is it going to impact your willingness to go back there and pay $99 for it? I don't think it's crazy to think that it might. No, it, it, it definitely definitely will. But, it's, it's something that, that we found that the sort of British, British um, golf clubs have experienced. Like the, the, the golf rates, Mickey, who used to co-host this uh, podcast, he worked at a golf club that charged like £65 for for a round of golf in like 2012, four years later, it's lucky if it gets uh, 25 quid for a round. Yeah. Um, it, it, that's a problem. Like when you start competing on price, it's a race to the bottom. Yeah. And so I think golf courses kind of have all golf courses that have, that have been engaged with third parties have all kind of had to, had to come to a viewpoint on, on how it impacts their business. And that evaluation is not something that can be done objectively. It's subjective in nature. And so when you have something that is that subjective, that you're going to have some people who think it's great for them and you're going to have some people who think it's horrible for them. 
some of the people who think it's great for them might be right. Some of them might be wrong. Some of them who think that it's horrible might be right. Those people. And so I think uh, you've also seen there's an emotional aspect in my view as well, where golf now's revenue has obviously continued to, to explode year over year, over year, over year. And golf courses have not seen that same type of revenue growth. And so if you're a golf course operator, you know, year one, you're not part of golf. Now year two, you are part of golf. Now year two golf now makes $50,000 off of the tee times that you gave them but you look at your overall year over year revenue and your total revenue from year one and year two are the same. You're going to go, well, sh- mm. Sam, I know you can hear me. I can't hear you, but it's, it's done that thing again, man. Sorry. Uh, wait there. I got this partner who's making out like a bandit. And I don't really feel like I am. And so that, that naturally creates kind of some friction, you know, and that friction for some people really boiled over into, into animosity. And I think, uh, you know, and I also, I also think that golf now had for a long time been able to dictate terms in that space because they were by such a wide margin, the biggest name around. And so you saw a lot of deals that, that may have been kind of one-sided and rubbed some people the wrong way and left lasting tastes in the mouths of a lot of golf operators. Mm. And so I think just generally those experiences have kind of, uh, and then, then of course, with the, the level of connectivity between people now, you're able to, to connect with other golf course operators through organizations like the National Golf Course Owners Association, et cetera, and kind of uh, download your disappointment <laughs> onto them. And, and commiserate together, and that has kind of created a, uh, you know, a little bit of a, a groundswell of people who don't love it. Mm. And so I think it, it, it's hard to, you know, and, there's, and, and both sides in that, in that debate will, will make fair counterarguments to one another, and the reality is likely somewhere in between. And so I think uh, there are some people who just, those early experiences they had with the barter model, put put a raw taste in their mouth and they never got it out and so i think part of how we got started is we wanted to be an antidote to some of those concerns that golf course operators had so there was no cost associated with working with us you weren't paying us any barter times the golf courses got to dictate to us the rates they wanted for every tee time so we didn't have mandatory discounting or anything like that you know we didn't buy the keywords uh like the search keywords of any of the golf course partners we worked with Little little things along the way that we tried to do in order to position ourselves as being more of a course-friendly approach to third-party distribution. And so I think part of how we kind of were able to build the course portfolio, we were able to build as quickly as we were able to build it, had a lot to do with sort of taking the lessons of third-party distributors uh, and trying to speak to some of those particular concerns. Mm, absolutely. So you've you've created like a like I said a tailored sort of solution focused product um, that that just that you're just trying to improve the, the space that you're in. I guess it also comes down to like 
what what's your value add? Like what 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 else can you bring to to that golf club than some than some guaranteed than some guaranteed um, tee times? I think that's going to be the question over the over the next couple of years. That's definitely how it appears anyway. Um, and it certainly seems that four links are in such a good position in terms of how well you're innovating um, to do that to bring more value to to more golf courses. Yeah, and, and it's really important to us to make sure that we're hyper responsive to the wants and needs of our golf course partners that ultimately we don't have a business without them and uh to the extent that we make sure we keep our ears open to whatever uh issues they might have we resolve them as quickly that we try to when they have issues or, or things they think that we can do better to try to make sure that we develop our product to speak to those concerns you know those are all kind of steps that that are important to us to take in order to make sure that we preserve really healthy long-term relationships with our golf courses, because I do think uh, it's difficult to have a business like ours if you have acrimonious relationships with the golf courses your business is based on. Mm. Mm. Oh, absolutely, it's, it's really interesting. Like it's it's such an interesting um, model. It's one that that that's, that's grown and will continue to grow, but it's one that perhaps hasn't quite nailed that uh, hasn't nailed the product yet. Um, uh, but but you it, it it's an interesting space nonetheless because you're always striving to to make the connection between um the the course yourselves and also the the, the golf player um as seamless as as possible and it's difficult when there's so many parties involved yeah and there's kind of a catch twenty two quality to it where uh, I've never met a golfer who wants to pay more money for their round of golf. And I've never met a golf course operator who wants his golf course to cost less money. So how do you speak to the golf course operator who, with fixed capacity, is trying to maximize revenue from that fixed capacity against the golf customer who has X amount of dollars that they're willing and able to spend on golf and wants to extract the most value they can out of those dollars? Those two competing interests are going to are going to come at the expense of one another, and so how do you balance those? I think uh, you're seeing golf course operators and consumers find their way through uh, that experience and, and sort of an ordering of priorities uh, on both sides as to what matters most to them and what's going to dictate their decision making. Absolutely, um, cool. That, that, that was that was fun to learn, learn learn some new stuff about the inner workings of a. Of a, of a tea time business, um, but I guess back back to some Arizona golf. Like like I said, um, I guess before before we started, um, unfortunately I don't have as much time as usual usual day. But it'd be great if you could uh, give us some more gems in gems in Arizona. Uh, True North is uh, we talked a little bit about yeah. uh, this place last week. True North is a thirty six hole facility in Scottsdale, uh, relatively close to where the waste management Phoenix Open is. Uh, both of their golf courses, they're one of the few golf, few golf facilities I know of where they have 36 or more holes and you can make a pretty strong case for either of the golf courses as being the best one. Usually when you see 36 holes, good one and then the other one. Mm. And so I think what's, what's spectacular about true North is they have two dynamite golf courses just carved out of the desert, uh, um, you know, like like most great desert golf courses, immaculate conditions. Things are always super pure. Uh, it's just a you know, there's some elevation change. It's just a it's a it's a high 
pretty place, and uh, and I would definitely put that high on my list. It's been a while since I played them both. I played a, I played them when I was like maybe thirteen or fourteen, so it's been it's been some time. But I remember loving it. Uh, pictures I've seen are beautiful. Uh, it's it's a great facility, and I would definitely if you take a trip out to the desert, I think you'd be uh, I think you'd be missing an, an important. The Boulders is another 36 facility that is, I believe it's called Carefree, Arizona. It's just outside of Phoenix. That's another 36-hole facility that's got two really strong golf courses. Uh, I'm leaving somebody out that I was just remember, trying to remind myself not to forget. Oh, the Phoenician. Uh, the Phoenician used to be a 27 facility, and they cut one of the nines and made it 18 holes. I haven't seen it since they did that, but the old golf course, the old 27 holes were really good, and I've heard the new uh, renovated design is fantastic. Put that high on my list of recommendations out there. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're putting together a five-day trip, you know, and you're doing the uh, stadium course at TBC Scottsdale, you're doing Wickenburg Ranch, you're doing True North, both courses, the Boulders, both courses, and the Phoenician, I think that's a... Uh, I don't think you're going to be disappointed on any of those days. Awesome. Any 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 more gems top of your head? Off the top of my head, am I leaving? Um, I'm, I'm going to bring up one course. I'm going to bring up one course last week that didn't get a mention. Um, is Rams Hill? Ooh, I, I didn't realize you work with Rams Hill. Yeah, we do. Uh, and actually, I regretted not making that. In hindsight, as I was thinking back, uh, part of it is I haven't played it. I haven't been down there, and I've heard great things about it, uh, but I've never been there, and so I don't. I it just didn't jump out of my mind. But that's down in uh, outside of San Diego in an area called Borrego Springs. Uh, it's a, it's it, the pictures of it look amazing. Get down. That is a, a great one. Uh, probably should have been in my top five from California last week. Course, I'm forgetting. I knew I was forgetting. Uh, the golf club at Dove Mountain. Mm-hmm. It's not in Phoenix. It's uh, closer to Tucson. But you'll remember the golf club at Dove Mountain from. Uh, they used to host the match play there. Oh, really? Yeah. And so, like, I don't know if you remember that that match with Tiger against Stephen JB Holmes, or it was like. Oh no, sorry. Well, I uh, Stephen Ames. That might have been. When ten nine. The other ten. Wait, one ten nine. Yeah, that, they've moved that tournament around so much that it's hard for me to remember which year was where. But the, the golf club at Dub Mountain had the match play for maybe, maybe five or six years. Okay. And, uh, and it's a really cool – it's a Jack Nicklaus golf course with some really wild greens. And, uh, and it's a lot of fun because of that, that you can kind of use – it's got that Augusta National-like quality where you can use the slopes to your advantage. requires a lot of creativity on and around the greens and into the greens. You know, sometimes you're playing at a 45 degree angle away from use the slope back towards a, a whole location that's tucked into a corner, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so if you're somebody who likes wild, this is the golf club at Dub Mountains, probably worth the drive. Uh, you know, I would say it's maybe 45 minutes to an hour outside of Phoenix. But that's another, another cool golf course that uh, I, I would put on the list. Sunridge Canyon is, a, is another golf course area. It's really solid. Uh, good folks over there too. Really great partners of ours have been have been with us a long time. Uh, 
Dove Valley Ranch is a cool one. Eagle Mountain is a cool one. Uh, Poston Butte in Phoenix is a cool one. There aren't a lot of misses out in the desert, to be honest. You know, I, I think uh, because you have to create the golf course out of some pretty rough terrain, I think uh, you just you don't you don't see that many you don't see that many half-hearted efforts out there. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Because the you're right, like like you said, yes, they're not able to utilize the natural landscape as much as say a pebble a pebble beach. But for that very reason, there's so much thought gone into how they're laying this course out, and um, like like we've alluded to so much on on this podcast, like anything with the consumer, the front of what they do tends to tends to win. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think uh, it's also such a it's also such a saturated golf market that if you're coming in as the 120th golf course in Phoenix. Uh, you better build something good, right? <laughs> you know, like if you're going to displace golfers from any of the well-established hundred-plus golf courses in the area, Did I lose you there. Yep, we're back. <laughs> Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, all good. Sorry. All good. Uh, where were we? Uh, we were just chatting about, uh, yeah, about the, I was saying how, um, you know, the, the course in the desert is sort of being made with a consumer in mind. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I think that uh, if you're going to build a golf course in an area that is so saturated with golf courses that you know going into it, you better build something cool. Otherwise, this is just such a competitive landscape that that you're gonna it's you're gonna have a hard time recouping your investment. And so, I think there's a certain uh, pressure that creates on anybody who developed a golf course in that area that they needed to make sure they built something uh, that had something something that would draw a consumer to it. Because there there are plenty of golf courses at every price point out there that. Uh, it's hard to compete on anything other than quality. And mm. mm. interesting, um, Sam. Um, I guess look, it's uh, it, it, it's been another sick podcast. I um, I'm really loving doing these every single week. Um, we're bringing a lot of value, I think, to to the JJ Nation. Um, they are continually getting inspired by the conversations we're having. Uh, they're enjoying just for just on the face value of what it is. Um, so I, I think we're we're we're, good, we're well on our way to to do what we we set up to do, which is to to help more people take the game of golf. So th- thank you again for your thank you again for your time, Sam. Sorry we couldn't have a a longer episode today. Um, I've got a dash, but um, as ever, we'll we'll see you next Monday. No worries. Pleasure. Talk to you next week. See you, man. Take these, Sam. <laughs>